Hello and welcome to Mobility Minute, a bite-sized podcast for people on the move. I'm your host, Justine Rusho from the Greater Mercer TMA. Every week, you'll find an episode about transportation and mobility that you can listen to when you're on the go. We also interview some pretty amazing people who work in different corners of the transportation space. Whether you drive, bike, walk, skate, roll, or take public transit, these episodes will guide you through the world of planning and transportation in New Jersey as we talk about how to make it safer, easier, and greener to get around in Mercer and Ocean County. Hey everyone, we are here today with Sonia Cezna, an urban planner, activist, environmental advocate, and community organizer. She's the director of active transportation at a nonprofit called Tri-State Transportation Campaign. Sonia received her master's degree in city and regional planning from the Edward J. Blaustein School of Planning and Public Policy at Rutgers University. Apart from being a passionate urban planner, she's also a filmmaker and bicycle enthusiast. We are so lucky to have her here with us to talk about transportation advocacy and the tools and opportunities that people have to make decisions in transportation planning. Sonia, would you like to say hi? Hey, thanks for having me. And thank you for coming on. Thanks for agreeing to come on. So let's get started. Can you tell us a little bit about the Tri-State Transportation Campaign and what the organization does? Yeah, so the Tri-State Transportation Campaign is a nonprofit advocacy organization. We're dedicated to mobility, accessibility, and livability in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. So people always ask us mm-hmm. which of the three states. <laughs> it's New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. We use data and policy analysis along with strategic media outreach to influence decision-making through the region. And we were founded in 1993. Mm -hmm. Next year will be our 30th anniversary as an organization. Congratulations. Thanks. So as director of active transportation, what are some of the initiatives that you oversee? So as director of active transportation, I deal with all of our projects that have something to do with encouraging walking or biking or Mm -hmm. other mobility that are outside of a vehicle. So I don't normally work on our transit Mm -hmm. portfolio, though many of my colleagues do. I work mostly on how do you get someone to get to transit without having to use a vehicle. So one of the major campaigns I oversee is the Circuit Trails Network. So Tri-State is part of a coalition called the Circuit Trails Coalition. We have more than 55 organizations, nonprofits, agencies, and other entities in the greater Philadelphia region. Mm -hmm. We're all working to basically build this awesome multi-use trail network called the Circuit Trails. So it'll be when completed 800 miles through the Delaware Valley Regional Planning Commission's region. So that's the Four counties in New Jersey from Mercer, Burlington, Camden, Gloucester, Mm -hmm. and then the adjacent counties on the PA side. Mm -hmm. So I did get to look at the map of the circuit trails. Does that also include New Brunswick, Newark, and New York or no? No, the circuit trails network is specifically in metropolitan planning Mm -hmm. organizations region. So we are working with other advocates and groups to kind of expand the network and really pushing for a statewide network in New Jersey. We think this is a great opportunity for our state to be connected by another kind of transportation network that's not roads, but actually just active transportation networks. So the circuit trails, are they more recreational or are they also like 
paths that connect, like, let's say, commercial centers or places of interest for people? Yeah, they're both. They run the gamut throughout the Mm -hmm. network. So you can use the circuit trails to do anything from, you know, just be outside and enjoy nature to get to work, to get to the bus stop. So I live in Trenton and I live very close to the DNR Canal Towpath, which is part of our network. And I use it to get to our local rock gym. It's like a really easy bike ride there. And I love taking that because it's off-road. I don't have to care about vehicles. It's Mm -hmm. like I can go at whatever time I need to go and it's right down the street from my house. So so how much safer do you feel not having to interact with vehicles? Oh, it's great. <laughs> you <laughs> you know, you're obviously still using lights and everything you need, but mm-hmm. it, you have like so much less stress because, you know, you're looking around you for people walking and mm-hmm. things that are like slow moving and just making sure you don't, you know, hit a pothole or something on the right. trail. But there's a lot less stress when it comes to traveling. It definitely reduces the amount of thinking and like, you know, heightened awareness that you have. That sense of like, oh my gosh, am I going to, you know, get into an accident? Yeah. So one of the things that we like to talk about on the podcast is how the planning space involves a lot of or many different layers and different players and perspectives, right? So recently we had someone come and talk about regional planning. And so Tri-State does a lot of work in policy and advocacy. And so my question is on the spectrum of high level regional work to ground level grassroots initiatives, where does Tri-State fall? That's a great question. I think that Tri-State kind of fits into a lot of these different categories. A lot of our policy work is either regional or statewide, but we also work on things like the Complete and Green Streets policy, which can be adopted at a municipal, a county, or at the state level. So we do kind of everything from looking at a statewide budget and Mm -hmm. and making sure those investments are going towards active transportation and public transit. Mm -hmm. Or we work with bus riders at a hyper-local level to find out what they need on specific bus routes. So we have an organizer that you might want to have come on named Talia Crawford, and she is out on the buses talking to riders and figuring out really like what their needs are and helping them just go and express their needs to the people that make these decisions. Right. That is so important, especially in transit work and trying to come up with the best strategies to kind of improve according to what people who actually ride and what they need. So, I mean, what are some of the ways, I guess that leads to my next question. What are some of the ways that regular people, and by regular people, I mean people who aren't in the planning space, How can they get involved in this kind of work in the decision-making process? A lot of this seems really far or inaccessible to your regular Joe. Yeah. So I think it's important for people who want to get involved to figure out what level they want to get involved in. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of advocacy happens at the really hyper-local level. So it's really looking at your council members or going to your planning board meetings. But I also think it's a lot easier and a lot more fun to be working on these issues and engaging on these issues with a group. So I really encourage people that are looking to get involved to kind of reach out to their local 
bike ped, either advocacy group, or if you go on, I think New Jersey Bike and Walk Coalition might have a resource on their website that shows all of Mm -hmm. the biking and walking kind of groups throughout the state. I think it's a lot less intimidating to start there and learn about what they're working on, but also just showing up to public meetings about things that are happening in your community. You can usually find announcements about that on your like county or city. You know, now you can kind of get involved in anything because it's on Zoom. So you can look at their websites, their social media pages. They have to publicly post notices about anything that's happening. So I really encourage going to those, listening in, but also like finding a community that's also working on this because that makes it a lot more fun and also a lot more engaging. Right. So would you be able to like tell us a bit about some of the groups that you've worked with and some of the projects that you've worked on recently? Sure. You mean in the context of like getting involved or do you just mean like in yeah. general? Yeah. Like for people who are listening in and, you know, curious about some local groups or some examples of local groups, like you said, there are usually bike ped coalitions or a bike ped advocacy group. Are there different kinds of, like, I know that we've talked about Vision Zero and safe routes to school and all of these different organizations. So I guess like, could you tell me, I know they work differently, but could you tell me a little bit more about how maybe someone can get involved in this kind of work? Sure. So I could talk about this in the context of the circuit trails. I think that's the easiest framework, but so the circuit trails, you know, our work on this is at multiple levels, but we are a regional trail network that's using federal funds to build Mm -hmm. a lot of these trail networks. We use a lot of transportation funding to build them. Mm -hmm. And so for these, we really need input from local community members to find out, you know, what trails are needed the most, what Mm -hmm. trails need improvement, what trails need to be maintained. And so Mm -hmm. something we have as part of the coalition is we have action teams for every county. And those Mm -hmm. are available for anyone to join. You can find them on our our website, but those county action teams are basically groups of people that really want to see or learn more about the circuit trails in their communities. And so you sign up, we can give you all the information about the trails in your community. And then as opportunities come up for public input, for sharing your thoughts, for even something like a road safety audit, we share that out to all of our members in that. But even within those groups, we'll work with, like, for example, I'm the Mercer County Action Team Chair, Mm -hmm. and we're working with a whole host of organizations to advocate for the building of a bicycle and pedestrian bridge to connect the Johnson Trolley Line Trail back together over I-295. GMTMA is also part of that. Indeed we are. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, like Trend Cycling Revolution is one of the groups within Mm -hmm. that kind of entity. And they're taking on like an event where they're going to encourage people from Trenton to ride to that part of the Johnson Trolley Line Trail to show how it's going to connect to the city when it's completed. And that's a great way to raise awareness, to get people engaged about the project, to hear what people think about the project. And so that's going to be an opportunity. You know, Trenton Cycling Revolution is a group you could get involved with. It's also a group you could just join the event and then say, yes, I want more information about this specific trail. So Mm -hmm. do you have to be from Trenton to join the Trenton Cycling Group? 
No, not at all. We definitely have members from outside of Trenton. Oh, fun. I think our our technical region is the greater Trenton area. So mm-hmm. yeah, anyone from the region is available to join the other group. There's a few other groups in Mercer County, but the West Windsor Bike Pet Alliance is another great one mm-hmm. that you could get involved with on a local level. Mm-hmm. I do have a question about your own experience as an avid cyclist. So recently I've been reading a lot of news about pedestrian and cyclist deaths, and we are at a crisis level, a record-breaking crisis level of pedestrian and cyclist deaths, and with over 200 killed and crashes every year. So, you know, in some places, cycling is like a green and healthy way to get around, but in New Jersey, it seems more like an extreme sport. So I want to pick your brain a little bit about this, What do you think we can do better? Yeah, I mean, well, the infrastructure, we need to really massively roll out bike ped infrastructure. Part Mm -hmm. of the reason why our trails work is so important is because it offers an opportunity that's completely separate from traffic, Mm -hmm. which actually is more comfortable to people of all abilities. Right. I personally am am a cyclist that will go on roads, you know, with just a shoulder or, you know, that right. don't have the infrastructure required. But what we need to really get people to mode shift is like protected, high quality infrastructure right. and really well-maintained sidewalks. That's something I feel like is so needed, but mm-hmm. we it's such a piecemeal approach to sidewalks in the region and they are like key to unlocking just a more reasonable community to live in. Right. There's so many sidewalks that just lead to nowhere or lead to a bush. <laughs> yeah. Like, or great. just are like broken. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that can be super, I guess, like essential and underrated almost in the ways that we plan and look at things. So I just want to add that like something we heard from a lot of disability advocates throughout the pandemic is that they had like, the ways they usually relied on for transportation were not as accessible because of COVID and Mm -hmm. and multiple people on the buses. And, you know, it just really pointed to how hostile our infrastructure is to anyone who's not able-bodied. Like if you can't walk on some side of the road, grassy Mm -hmm. path, like you're just not able to get to where you need to go, or you have to risk your life in the shoulder of a road somewhere. So You know, I really think we need to be putting people at the forefront of our transportation networks and be Mm -hmm. thinking about how do you get anywhere without a vehicle. Right. I think it's especially interesting what's happening now as the gas prices are surging and we're seeing, again, record breaking. It's the year of breaking records (laughs) and positive and negative ways. But, you know, people are starting to think about whether or not they can maintain their vehicles and maintain their car dependent lifestyles. And a lot of people are in distress about this because they try to walk around and it's almost impossible to get to anywhere without realizing that, oh, this is insufficient. How does anybody get anywhere without a car in New Jersey? Right. So it can be really, really difficult. So I get that. (laughs) Yeah. So we've talked about access in transportation and transportation planning and how a lot of what we do is ensuring that everybody in the community has access to the things that they need. So, you know, putting myself in the shoes of someone who either is thinking of moving to New Jersey from outside of New Jersey, 
you're thinking about all these things like access to public transportation, getting around without a vehicle, healthcare, you know, getting to your job, finding healthy food, and you can self-select, right? You can, to a certain degree, you can be like, I can choose to live in a place that has all these things. But for someone who doesn't live in a space like that, for whatever reason, it feels like it's very out of your control. So I guess my question is how much power do we actually have to contribute to transportation access in our communities? And what can we do? Yeah, I think it's important to realize that it's not a quick fix. Like Mm -hmm. this really needs to be a shift. And I think the more people we have asking the people in power, why can't I get to where I need to go without needing a vehicle? I think we need kind of a massive cultural shift and really people questioning, why is this the norm? Mm -hmm. And I think that we can just get involved by pushing. I think the local level is where a lot of you can have probably the most control. Mm -hmm. So I think starting there and really getting involved in your town or your city, that's just a great place to start and really being specific with what you think can improve Mm -hmm. your community is great. So if it's like a specific sidewalk on a specific road Mm -hmm. and you get a few neighbors to come with you to talk to city council about it, you know, I think like we really need more people like that. Right. Even just speaking up and saying right here, like right here. Yeah. <laughs> Not even. I think that's one of the things that I also find interesting is that people tend to know exactly what's wrong and they can identify a problem, but it's harder to identify exactly where and how to prioritize like an area. Right. So what are the things that you think are, I guess, important to keep in mind as we're trying to advocate and trying to speak up? Like you said, we can go in groups, you know, be specific, you know, what can we do to take that to the next level? Because, you know, it's easier for some than it is for others, <laughs> especially if you're not very outspoken and you're not very confident or maybe you don't really know the lay of the land that well. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing I think is that, you know, thinking about a whole community and thinking about how to prioritize these different Let's say you have a wish list of 10 things that you want happen to your community. I think it's really looking at what is going to have the biggest impact first Mm -hmm. and what is your low hanging fruit. It's kind of both of those things. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, I think we should be using metrics like how many people have died in this area or how many people have been in a crash here Mm -hmm. to make that our top priority. Mm -hmm. But then I think we should also be thinking about where has funding been invested previously? Mm -hmm. You know, what is an area that is not often getting the investment? So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think kind of this framework of looking at the need, but also making sure this is equitably distributed. So in our complete and green streets policy, the model policy that's kind of on the DOT website, we suggest that you look at priority communities. So that's overlaid a few different demographics to make sure you're investing in places that have historically been under or not invested in. So in some of the language that they use to describe these communities are environmental justice communities, low to moderate income communities. So there's a lot of, I guess, different ways that we've said it, but it's kind of like the same idea previously under represented, underinvested places that really, really need this kind of help. Yeah. And I think one of the 
probably the best way to define it now is to look at the DEP's overburdened communities map, because a Mm -hmm. lot of our agencies are looking at how to incorporate this environmental justice executive order that Governor Murphy signed into their framework. So I think Mm -hmm. that's that's the go to now. But I I don't think it, it has to be so scientific. I think usually people in a community know where there's been issues that have been unaddressed for a long time. Just one example is the crossing of Layler Street with Route 129 in Trenton. It's been on the top 10 most dangerous intersections list probably for a decade. Oh my and gosh. it's one of the top three in this new report that came out about like the most dangerous intersections in the whole country. So we know it's super dangerous. It's not hard to know why there's a four lane, you know, highway that right. has a senior center on one side and a grocery store on the other and a light rail in addition to all of that. So, and you're coming straight off of an interstate into a city People are going at maximum speeds. There is a light right there, but there's not really a lot of indication that there are people here. You should slow down. The road doesn't change shape. It's still super wide. So, you know, that's something a lot of residents in the city have been calling for to change. I find that a lot of this can be solved by visual cues. Like once you realize, like what you said, once you realize you are entering a city where there's a lot of people there's high foot traffic. There's a lot of other users of the road that are not just cars. So, I mean, I guess specific examples could be like traffic calming, like those islands in the middle of the road where there are trees or like maybe some paint on the road if as a cheap and quick <laughs> solution for that. So I guess like it also kind of comes down to being able to make decisions based on like real lived experience. Yeah. Like being able to, I guess, walk, like I've never been to that intersection, but like, I feel like if I walk down that street, I would know, I'd be like, this is not safe. I can't put my finger on it, but I just don't feel safe. And a lot of people have trouble putting that into language, I guess, or visualizing how things could be different. So I guess advocacy groups and people doing the work that you do, do a lot to help educate and help kind of call attention to these kinds of things. Yeah, I think it's really key to be asking a community what isn't working because they're the ones on whatever particular street every day. Mm-hmm. They see it at all times of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, you just know it's wrong. And even, yeah, I think what our goal is to say, here are the various tools we have and, mm-hmm. and help work together some sort of solution to address the issues that have been identified. What have been some of your favorite projects that you've worked on so far, aside from the circuit trails? I think the circuit trails is probably the most like tangible construction kind of projects that we Mm -hmm. work on. But I mean, it's hard to say this is my favorite because it's not like my favorite thing to do. But I think our Vision Zero Alliance has been really rewarding in the sense that Mm. this issue of traffic fatalities is really not discussed enough. And I think that we've started finally getting some attention that this is a huge issue and we need to be addressing it. Right. So I'm really hopeful about the future of our organization. And it's been, you know, I've learned so much, especially from the members of that coalition that are from Families for Safe Streets, you know, just like their bravery and the power they have 
like bringing their heartbreaking stories. And, you know, I have so much respect for them to like be willing to share that over and over again for the benefit of everyone else Mm -hmm. that uses our streets. Right. Exactly. And I feel like it's so tough to have some sort of like, I guess the question is how much can we tolerate and why does it take death for us to kind of open our eyes and how many deaths until we open our eyes? I think it's a big question here. How much are we willing to tolerate before we make a change? Right, right. And I think what we're trying to do is really call on the urgency of this. Like we don't have time to be wasting Mm -hmm. and thinking about how many we can tolerate. We can't tolerate anyone dying on our roads. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be doing everything we can to stop that. Right, absolutely. Especially as we are kind of waking up to these realities that the way that we've been getting around isn't necessarily working anymore. Yeah. And maybe has never been really working for us. And I, I'm also hopeful that, you know, the past two years have been historical in many ways. And I hope that this is kind of like a catalyst for the change that we want to see. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it really has opened a lot of people's eyes to other options. I mean, we've seen just a ton of people getting bikes. We've seen a lot more people outside walking. You know, we saw a lot of creativity during the pandemic that we haven't seen before. The slow streets movement, the open streets movement, outdoor dining, you know, rethinking our streets and thinking of them as like public spaces that Mm -hmm. they are. and, And what other things can we do there aside from just putting cars there? Right. Oh, yes. I love that. I love seeing spaces that were once just for cars turned into pedestrian plazas. And suddenly there's a Zumba class every Thursday and Sunday. I love that. So if there's one thing that you would want listeners to walk away with about you, about the work that you do, what would it be? I think the takeaway I would just leave everyone with is that it's really up to all of us to make some sort of change. And so I don't think everyone needs to be thinking about this every moment of their lives, but I think everyone has something to contribute to this general movement. And you should think about, you know, what are your skills and what do you like to do and how could that fit to Mm -hmm. supporting advocacy around these issues? Okay. So that brings us to the end of the interview, but before we go, would you like to plug any events or campaigns that you're working on? Yeah. So I'll plug two things, depending on what you're interested in. I encourage you to check out the Vision Zero New Jersey Alliance and sign our pledge. So that's vision zero number four, Mm nj.org. So that's if you're interested in getting more engaged on safe streets and stopping traffic fatalities throughout New Jersey. And then the other initiative that I'm working on is the New Jersey Trails Action Network. And so Mm -hmm. that's a collection of anyone that's interested in expanding the trail network throughout the state. We're hoping to eventually get to local chapters in different counties. So please sign up. We'll have a webinar coming out soon about the new statewide trails database. So check us out. The website is njtrailsaction.org, or you can find us on Facebook, New Jersey Trails action network. Awesome. And I'll be putting all the links to those sources and reference that we've talked about this episode in the description box for everybody to access. And thank you again, Sonia. Thank you so much for coming on. And it was great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
If you like this episode and want to hear more, you can follow us and subscribe to Mobility Minute to get new episodes every week. Connect with us on Instagram at Mobility Minute Pod or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GMTMA to hear the latest news and updates from us throughout the week. You can also find us on our website at gmtma.org to access our resource library and learn more about what we do. That's gmtma.org. I'll drop all these links in the description box for you. Signing off, I'm Justine Rasho, and this is Greater Mercer TMA's Mobility Minute, a bite-sized podcast for people on the move. Thank you so much for joining me today, and happy travels!